You know, what a great day. A day of new beginnings, if you will. I mean, I, I, love, I love the fact that a young couple brings their baby to be dedicated to the Lord. What a blessing. I love to see believers being baptized, recognizing they're, they're coming to Christ and, and wanting to follow Him in newness of life. You know, I intensely love Jesus Christ. And I hope you do too. Because I'm not the same guy I used to be. And I'm thankful for the change, the transformation that God has made in my life. I'm thankful that I'm not all wrapped up in the things of the world. I'm thankful that I can live for Him and I have the freedom to do that. You know, and, and we, we talk about the commands of Christ and the, the, the commands in the Bible. You know, there was a pastor, he once asked his class, he said, what do you do with the commandments in the Bible? What do you do with the commandments in the Bible? Little old lady in his class, she raised her hand and she said, I underline them in blue. You know, we, we think that might be cute to underline them in blue and it might help us to locate the, the commands of God. But it doesn't help us obey them. We have to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. You know, if we're all to rate ourselves on a scale of maybe 1 to 10 on how well we love others, on how well we love others, we would probably say, most of us, we would say, give ourselves probably a, a 7 or an 8. That yeah, we, we love others pretty well. Some of us might even dare to, to put a 9 out there. A 10. Hey, wait a minute, nobody's perfect, right? But we think that we love others pretty well. If we were to, to, to gauge ourselves, we would say, well, I love others well. I just wish my, my spouse or my children or my co-workers would love better. And we usually make it about someone else. That maybe they're not loving like they should. Today we enter into the sacred place, the upper room where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. That place where he spent time with his disciples. It was here that he taught his disciples just before the crucifixion. Just before he was going to be crucified on the cross. It was here that the devil won the victory over Judas. It was here that, that Jesus met with his disciples. After the resurrection. It was here that he met with them. And, and the Holy Spirit came in the day of Pentecost. Poured his spirit out upon them. It was here in the upper room. You know I've heard of five course dinners before. But what we have here is a five chapter summer, supper. Excuse me. A five chapter supper. Because this upper room last meal goes on, if you will, for five chapters. Really chapter 13 in John through chapter 18. And so we're going to focus on some of that this morning and, and in the next few messages, a, a three-part series. And it's going to, be, going to be coming out of John 13, John 14, and John 15. 
And it's the account of Jesus in the last days with his, his, his disciples, the last meal, the last supper, the last night. His last opportunity to teach them after he had been walking with them for three years. You think about this. He knows his departure is at hand. It's like, what do I want to tell them that is utmost importance? What do I want to impress upon them at this last time that I'm going to, to be able to be intimate and to teach them? And really, that's what we have here. Jesus' last words speak all of the resources that the disciples will have at their disposal after his departure. And, and we see in our reading that, that Jesus is faced with the agony, knowing that the cross is coming. Knowing that in a few short hours he's going to be tried and he's going to be crucified. What parting words does he want to give to his disciples? I mean, when you think about this, they are weak. The disciples are weak. They've walked with him, but they're weak. They're jealous. They're jealous of each other. They're... They're hungry for power. They think that Jesus is, is coming into his own and, and they're going to be seated on his right and on his left. And, and that, that, man, things are about to get really good. And who's going to be in charge? They're fighting over this. Judas himself is struggling with Satan. And the disciples, they don't understand what Jesus, who he is, the Messiah, or his mission. They just don't get it. They must learn quickly and adequately. And the first lesson they need to learn is the meaning of love. What it means to love someone else. Jesus gives us in this passage commands about love. So we're going to be in John chapter 13 and we're just going to kind of move through the passage. I'm going to read selected verses and I'll let you know what those are. But let's read in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 5. It says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. See, it was in the upper room during this passion meal that Jesus demonstrates his love. Jesus explains, he demonstrates the relationship between love and service. He shows them, he gives them a graphic picture of what it means to love. To love a fellow brother, to love someone else. And really the practicality of that is it comes out in our service to them. How do we serve them? You see, in the NIV it says, Now he showed them to the full extent of his love. The full extent. His hour had come. Here is Jesus, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. 
The lamb who was slain, he is, he is ready to die a redemptive death in order to make us right with God. He will no longer be with them physically. And it says here, it, it says that he loved them to the end. He showed them that his love to them was to the last, to the end, and also to the highest degree. So Jesus does the work of a servant as he washes their feet. The lowliest, stinkiest job, he washes their feet. Don't forget, we're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Washing the disciples' feet. They don't get it, but it doesn't matter. He is there to love them and to serve them. Think with me about this for a minute. It says that he has all things into his hand. All power, all authority is given to him. And he's washing men's feet. Wow. What humility. What humility it would take to kneel down, to stoop down, and to wash the disciples' feet. Those that he knew were going to abandon him in a few hours. Those who were going to betray him. Those who were going to scatter. The moment the heat got turned up. I mean the word humility means to stoop low. And it, it carries the idea of serving another person. I wonder what the angels in heaven thought about that. They know who Jesus is, and they see this taking place. I wonder if they thought, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, you've gone too far, Lord. Don't do that. Don't do that. And did you hear about the pastor who was voted most humble pastor in America? Well, his church honored him, and they gave him a medal that said on it, uh, most humble pastor in America, and the congregation they gave him that medal and, and it read there, the most humble pastor in America. But the very next week they had to take it back. Because he actually wore it. <laughs> they didn't think he would wear it. I mean, how clear could Jesus have been? He came from God and he was going back to God. But the way he says it in Mark 10 is this. I came not to be served, but to serve. I came not to be served, but to serve. And he gives us four, I want to point out four principles here uh, uh, regarding humility. And the first one is this, humility is unannounced. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, okay guys, now I'm going to demonstrate humility. He didn't announce what he was doing. He simply took the towel and began to wash their feet. You see, greatness does not consist of exaltation, but of self-sacrifice, of dying to self. See, even nature teaches us about this truth. It is the, the branch that is most full of fruit that bows the lowest. 
The question is how low can you grow? Because the way up in the kingdom is down. It's being the servant of all. See, humility is unannounced, but humility is willing to receive without embarrassment. I mean, what did Peter do? He tucked his feet under the, under the bench there. He tucked his feet away. He said, no, Lord, I don't, want to, I don't want you to do that. I think that's huge. Because humility is willing to receive without embarrassment. Peter pulls himself away, recognizing that... that, that, that The Lord is doing something that he probably should have done for the Lord. But you see, Jesus stoops down and he rebukes Peter. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. Thirdly, I would say humility is not a sign of weakness. I mean, even in the midst of that here, Jesus boldly rebukes Peter in the midst of this humble task. It's not a sign of weakness to be humble. But notice also, humility doesn't play favorites. Humility is neither selective nor exclusive because Jesus washes each disciple's feet. Each one of them, he washes their feet. I mean, if Jesus were were only human, he probably would have wanted to put boiling water on Peter's feet and ice-cold water on Judas's. But he didn't do that. He washed them all the same. Look at verse 13. I want to read just a few verses there. The end of verse 12 says, Jesus says, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. See, Jesus interprets the meaning of his actions here. A servant must not expect better treatment than his Lord. If you call Jesus Christ your Lord, you recognize that he bled out for you. That he gave his life, that he died so that you might have eternal life. So what could be so great that we would not do it? Have you suffered to the point of shedding blood? Have you been persecuted that bad? Christian? Oh, believer? To where it has made you paralyzed to proclaim the gospel? Have they cut your tongue out? Have they called you names? Have they beaten you? No, but we're really ashamed of it. Otherwise, we'd be proclaiming it. Our silence is deafening. You see, there's only one kind of greatness. And it's the greatness of service. Jesus modeled that for us. It's true humility. Serving others. 
Serving others with no benefit to yourself. See, our love is shown by our willingness to do whatever is necessary in Christ's kingdom. We have a master, we have a Lord, we have a Savior, we have someone whom we serve. And whatever it takes to see his kingdom move forward is what we're to be about. It's not about building our own kingdoms. It's not about building our own comfort. It's not about building all of these things that we make it about because we're selfish individuals. But he gave his life so that we would die to self and follow his example. That's what he said here. Do you know what I've done to you? I've given you an example so that if you do this, happy will you be. Blessed will you be if you do these things. I want to give you just a little application this morning. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I'd like you to recline at that table too. Jesus is getting ready to wash your feet. He's stooping down to wash your needs. And not your clean and polite needs. But your dirty needs. The things that you need to be cleansed from. Your dirty feet of pride. Your dirty hands of insensitivity. Your dirty heart of selfishness. Jesus is stooping to wash and to cleanse us. He wants to wash us clean and teach us how to live cleansed lives. We're like Peter. Oh no, Lord, not me. Here, here, wash my hand. It's already clean. He wants the dirty part. He wants the nitty gritty. He wants the part we don't want him to have. See, the synoptic gospels, they tell us that on the way to the feast, the disciples, they were, they were yielded in, in their contention. They were, they were fighting and arguing and they were, they were wrapped up in pride. They were arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest. Because see, they were ready to fight for a throne, but they weren't ready to fight for a towel. And when God's people are ready to fight for a towel, the world is going to sit up and take notice. We've had a belly full of people that want the throne, and we know all about that. And they do too. But when our service gets to the point, when our love gets to the point that it compels us to serve others, we're going to see a transformation happen. See, the command to do for one another... What Christ had done for them is not confined to washing feet. He said, a cup of cold water in my name. A cup of cold water in my name. 
He says, blessed are you if you do these things. See, our faith has to be intensely practical. We study God's word so we can know God better. We study the commands of Christ so that we can serve him better. And it's very practical. It's not theology that's up there in in, in concept and ideas. It is theology that has hands and feet that works and serves others and loves on people in our community. Listen. How you treat other people is important. That shows your love. How you spend your money shows your love, shows your service. Because a lot of times we will do something until it starts to cost us. But is it love if it doesn't cost us anything? Is it love if we can just get by on nothing and get the credit for it because somebody thinks we're great because we did this for them? Oh, that's not dying to self, folks. That's being very selfish. Because I'm only going to do those things that don't cost me anything. That don't cost my time. That don't cost my money. That don't cost my, uh, the other things that we have that we can give. And we try to get by as cheaply as we possibly can. That's not love. I mean, think about this. All of those things, how you treat other people, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. All of those are founded on our view of God. Either he owns it all or he doesn't. Because if you believe that God owns it all, then you will give the time that you need because God can multiply your time. You will give the funds that you need to give because he can multiply that. There's so much that we are selfish about in our motives. We do it to get. And we need to give it to him and let him be God. See, a soldier, he obeys his commanding officer even when the order conflicts with his comfort. Sergeant doesn't care whether you're comfortable or not. He needs a job done. It doesn't matter whether it conflicts with his convenience or even his safety. Gentlemen, I need that hill over there. And we need to control it. Yeah, safety's an issue. But the captain doesn't care because he's in charge. He loves his men. He's not going to put them out there. But you see, we obey the commands of our Lord. He's our master. He's the boss. He's the one who calls us to this. Jesus appeals to Judas even as he is there beside him with long-suffering love. I mean, Judas must have been the, the perfect actor and the perfect hypocrite. Because Jesus was the only one who wasn't fooled by him. Everybody else was. Everybody else thought he was them. He was in with them. See, after revealing that a disciple would betray him, Jesus gave a morsel to Judas. And to give a morsel of a meal would have been a mark of goodwill. 
Judas must have been on Jesus' left because the highest place of honor kept for his most intimate friend. Again and again, I could probably see Jesus appealing to Judas with long-suffering love. Come on, Judas, are you going to go through with it? Are you really going to do it? I mean, this, this scene beautifully betrays and displays, excuse me, the, the attitude that Jesus expects us to have. Because real Christ-like love, real Christ-like love always seeks the best for everyone. The person who loves you the most is the one who's willing to tell you the most truth. Even when it hurts. Even when we don't like it. The person who cares about you the most is going to tell you that. Even when you don't want to hear it. Because it's true. Jesus teaches that love will bring the cross. And later, great glory. Look at verse 31. Therefore he, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. See, the disciples, as well as us, we have to learn that To follow Christ is not the easy way. To follow Christ is the hard way. They crucified him. If we're going to follow him, we need to be ready for the same. It's not just, oh yeah, let's just just be a Christian and everything is all cool and hunky-dory. It isn't that way. You know it and I know it. It's hard to pray for your enemies. It's hard to forgive those who despitefully use you. It's hard to be all on and love somebody up close when we want to hold them at a distance. But that's the love of Christ. And his love compels us to do the things that don't seem reasonable to our world. See, God will glorify Jesus through the resurrection and and, and his return to glory. And from then on, the disciples will often face a cross. Just like we do. There are times where we have to die to self every day. Saying, Lord, it's about you, it's not about me. And Jesus gave his disciples a command. A command to love one another. Look at verse 33, 34. He says, A new commandment I give you, give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, this is Jesus' farewell command. He's like, love each other. This command I'm giving to you, love each other. Get together, love each other. We're we're to keep on following that example of agape, unconditional love, sacrificial love. I mean, Jesus loved his disciples, it said, to the end. 
to the full extent. He loved his disciples selflessly and sacrificially. And sometimes we think wrongly that love is about our happiness. You know, I've counseled men and women who are trying to split up husbands and wives. Well, I don't know. I, I just, um, we don't love each other anymore. It's not as long as you both shall love. It's as long as you both shall live. But we don't like that. Because we want to make the rules. We want to be in charge. Jesus loved his disciples with understanding. He knew them and he still loved them. He loved them forgivingly even when Peter denied him. Even when Peter said, I don't know who you're talking about. Totally abandoned him. In his most desperate time of need. See, they were blind. They were insensitive. They were slow to learn. They were lacking in understanding. But we need to hear this today. There was no failure in them that Jesus could not forgive. And there is no failure in us that Jesus cannot forgive. Amen. See, Jesus knew the future of his kingdom was at hand. And in the hands of these disciples. And that they're loving one another is what the world would seek. He wanted them to love each other as he loved them. Unconditionally. And it's no different today. Our first lesson from the upper room is love. To love one another. See, I'm reminded of the great need for love in our day. We live in a fast-paced world. Many people never take the time to notice others. They're all focused on what they're about and what's going on in their life. We're so busy. We're so burdened taking care of our own needs that we really don't take the time to spend it with other people. We fail to consider what their needs might be. I mean, the world is looking for someone who is showing others that kind of love. The kind of love that Jesus had for his disciples. They're hungrily looking for a message that transforms life from being selfish to being selfless. From being give me, give me to being sacrificial. They're desperately, hungrily looking for that kind of message from each one of us. And sadly, most of the time, we portray the same message that the world gives. It's all about me. See, we must love one another. Deeply. So our world can experience that kind of love. So they would know that we would reveal Jesus to them. And see, this is our great challenge today, and that's why I wanted to speak on it. Because we're called and we're commanded to love one another. But we're all different. 
We're all different. We're, we're, we all have different likes. We all have different dislikes. We're different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We have different callings. We have different points of view. But we need each other. We're not going to see the great commandment and the great commission come to fruition in our world until we love each other. See, we have to be willing to lay aside our differences and love each other. See, most churches are in a turmoil, in a state of decline because believers don't love each other. And you know what? Our world has enough drama in it that people don't need to come to church to find drama. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He wasn't talking about having nice thoughts about one another, warm fuzzies, because nobody else can see that. He was talking about love that can be seen. When we settle this relationship here, when we have love for God like He desires, like He created us to have, then we will have love for one another like we're supposed to have. But you see, it's an inside-out thing. It comes from the inside. And it shows itself in outward service. Just to do acts of service so that we can get credit for it means nothing. To do our service as unto the Lord. Now that means something. That means that our hearts are surrendered to Him. See, the reality is we can't love like Jesus loves until we know Jesus in a personal way. Until he comes in and transforms our life and makes us a new creation. We saw evidence of that this morning, wanting to follow the Lord as a new believer. See, that's the sort of love that stands out in our world. That's the kind of thing they need to see. And when they see that in us, you know what they're going to say? That group of people right there, they must be followers of Jesus Christ. Because they love each other. 